0: He saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work, but while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he, speaking of Jesus, he spit on the ground. He made mud with the saliva, and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. What a disgusting picture we get there, but that's what Jesus did. He spat on the ground, and with his saliva, he made mud, and he put that on the man's eyes. In verse seven, it said, he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent, So the man went and washed, and then he came back seeing. And then look at John chapter 20. This has really been the theme verse uh, throughout this series, John 20 verses 30 through 31. It says, then the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. We've been looking at the seven signs recorded by John, the gospel writer, but, but what we see here at the end of John, he says there's many other signs that Jesus did, but these are the ones recorded in this book, but these are written, John wrote, he said, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of of his name. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together in your presence to worship you and to honor you. Lord, we are so grateful for our children that that worship this morning, that led us into your presence and what a beautiful job they did. And we're so grateful, God, that they have hearts that love you, that passionately want to serve you. And Lord, we are so grateful for the chance that we have today to direct our attention now toward your word. Lord, your word is alive. It is powerful. It has transforming power in it. And so, Lord, I pray that in these next few moments, captivate our attention. And, God, my prayer is that they would not hear me speak, but only you speaking through me today. Holy Spirit, help me to proclaim your word with boldness, with passion, with clarity, with simplicity. And, God, help me to decrease and you to increase and be the focus of our time together, I pray And Lord, as we give ourselves to your word today, I pray that each person in this room, myself included, may we walk out of here changed, different than how we came in today, because we've encountered the living, faithful presence of Jesus Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, um, we are looking at the sixth sign in John's gospel. This particular sign we're going to see today will actually cause quite the ruckus among several groups of people. When Jesus heals this blind man who was blind from birth, it's going to really stir up the crowd today. I want you just to recall, just for a second, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, and if not, let me just refresh our memories. These signs that are recorded by John in John's Gospel uh, John himself wrote and said that they were written so that you may continue to believe. They, they were recorded for a very specific purpose. They were recorded to reveal the glory of God. If you recall throughout John's gospel, every time that one of these signs took place in some level, in some fashion, God's glory was revealed and people's lives were changed. The disciples, they believed when Jesus turned water into wine. Uh, we see all throughout Scripture, even in the Old Testament, any time that a miraculous thing took place, or or an event, or a divine activity took place, God's people were moved, and His glory was revealed. Their lives were changed. We know that the signs were often recorded so that our faith would be strengthened, and so that others, when they re- when they read and see what God has done, maybe even new faith would result. And we're going to see that today's sign, though, is going to stir up a plethora of emotions and responses. We're gonna see the Pharisees and, and and the crowd and everybody really all over the place when it comes to their response to the sign recorded in John's Gospel. Now let me, we didn't read the whole passage, but let me give you just a quick synopsis uh, of the narrative that unfolds here in John chapter nine. First of all, we see that we're dealing with a man who has been blind from birth, but Jesus is going to restore his sight. Now this is an interactive miracle, uh, unlike the turning the water into wine, or or even in earlier cases when remember when Jesus uh, just simply said to the royal official, he said your son will live. Jesus didn't go to the man, he didn't go to the son, he didn't touch him to heal him. He just simply spoke the word, and the boy was healed. But in this particular case, we're going to see it's a little bit different because there's some interaction that unfolds. What does Jesus do? He spits on the ground. He he makes mud and he takes that mud, mixed in with his saliva, and he wipes it on the eyes of this man who had been. And blind from birth. So it's an interactive miracle. We also see in this narrative that the neighbors and other close companions, they struggled to recognize the man who had been blind from birth in his restored state. Once his eyes were open and he began to walk freely and move around freely, all of a the sudden these people that knew him as the blind man, the man who was born blind, they failed to recognize him in that restored state. But more importantly, And this is what we need to see. More importantly, they hesitated, to accept the miracle that took place. And we're gonna see that reaction and that response here in just a few moments. We also see the Pharisees. The Pharisees actually take him, or they the, the people take him to the Pharisees, and essentially, the Pharisees kind of put this man on trial because he had been restored or healed on the Sabbath. We know that any time that Jesus does any work or any miracle or any activity on a Sabbath day, it really, really ruffles the feathers of the Pharisees and those uh, who adhere to uh, that tradition. And so they take him to the Pharisees. They put him on trial because he had been restored on a Sabbath day. The Pharisees, they were more interested, and this is important to see, they were more interested in finding out who was involved in this miracle but they were actually divided on Jesus's true identity. If you read the rest, and we're going to look at it here in just a few moments, in John chapter 9, we're going to see that in an attempt to get more clarity, they actually interrogate the man's parents, but they still get no answers. So so once they bring this man to the Pharisees, and and they're divided on who he is, and what happened, and and was he really blind from birth, or, or was he really healed? But it, it couldn't have been uh, somebody that healed him on a Sabbath, so they're divided in their understanding of what took place and so what do they do they go to the parents and they say is this really your son is this is this the man who's been blind since he was born and and his parents respond and say yes this is this is our son but as to how this happened and who did it we don't know go ask him he's of age he can respond he can tell you the parents also were trying to sort things out so what do they do they interrogate this man for a third time can you imagine, um, just for a second, put yourselves in the shoes of this blind man, and, and, and your sight has been restored. You're going to be excited. You're, you're going to be rejoicing, and, and, and yet they bring him to the Pharisees. They put him on trial. They're asking him all the questions. They bring his parents and say, is this really your son? And, and they still don't get the response they want, and so they interrogate him for a third time, trying to figure out what happened and who was involved And so in that third interrogation, and you'll see it in the text in John chapter 9, the man actually calls into question their motives and their understanding of what actually took place. And because he called into question the motives of the Pharisees, they actually kick him out of the synagogue. They didn't like what they heard. They weren't interested in in being interrogated or or being reprimanded by this man who had just been healed on a Sabbath day. They weren't interested. They, They were no longer interested in this man. So what they do, they kick him out of the synagogue altogether. But then we get to the end of John chapter nine. Jesus comes back into play. And this man, he believes in Jesus. And the Pharisees, their hearts become even more hard to what God is doing. Now, that is a synopsis of what occurs. I didn't read the whole text to you, but if you read the rest of John chapter 9, you will see those events unfold. Now, this narrative, it offers a variety of spiritual truths, and it could be. I could tackle it from several different directions, but this morning, I want to focus on five what I believe to be very important lessons that I think will challenge our walk with Christ individually But more importantly, will challenge us as a church when we give ourselves to what what really is occurring underneath this narrative. I want to begin with the first challenge, and that is this. The ordinary has the possibility of becoming extraordinary in the presence of Jesus Christ. I want to say that again. The ordinary has the possibility of becoming extraordinary in the presence of Jesus Christ. Look at our text again. Look at John chapter nine. Look at verse one. This is how the story begins. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind." From birth. Now, this opening statement screams that something big is about to happen, but only because Jesus is involved in this story. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. If you stop there, if you don't read any else of the text, and yet you've been reading through John's gospel, you know at this point that something big is about ready to happen. Jesus is just going along. He's on his journey. He's traveling as he normally does, and he sees a man who has been blind from birth, I think we know at this point that something incredible is about ready to unfold because Jesus is involved. What we see here is that it was just an ordinary day with ordinary circumstances. Uh, I think most of us probably understand ordinary days with ordinary circumstances. We we oftentimes go through life, we have our routines, we have our rhythms, we understand the ordinary aspects of life and that's what it was for this man in that moment. The man who had been born blind from birth, he was just likely going through his routine that day. Nothing was really different for him. He woke up, he he ate the same breakfast that he ate every single morning. He, he, he took a granola, a granola bar and a cheese stick that's my breakfast by the way he took a granola bar and a cheese stick he ate it he went where he normally went he was just minding his own business it was an ordinary day for this man who had been born blind from birth it was not a festival day. Unlike some of the other signs and miracles that took place, there wasn't some Jewish festival unfolding. It wasn't Passover. It wasn't the Feast of Tabernacles. Nothing extraordinary about this day. This was just an ordinary day. It was very likely just another day, like maybe a Monday for some of us. Just an ordinary day. We're ready to get through it. Um, we. How many of you like Mondays, by the way? Let me ask that. Any I like Mondays, believe it or not. Uh, a few of you and a lot of you just, I lost respect because, um, but I do, I do. But, but here's what I want you to see. It was just another ordinary day for this man. Yet the presence of Jesus transformed the entire atmosphere. As Jesus was walking along, he didn't see this man's blindness as a tragedy, Instead, he saw an opportunity for his glory, Jesus's glory to be revealed. Look at what he says in John chapter nine, verse three. It says it was not because of his sins. Speaking of the man who had been blind from birth or his parents sins that he was blind. This happened, Jesus said, so the power of God could be seen in him. Jesus didn't look at the man in his blindness and see it as a tragedy. Jesus looked at this man who had been blind from birth and he saw this as an opportunity for the glory of God to be on display and for God's glory to be revealed. And remember, every time throughout John's gospel, every time God's glory is displayed and revealed, there are some incredible things that happen. There are some awesome responses that come forth from the glory of God being on display. Disciples believe, people are moved, people long for his presence. And so once again, we see here is an opportunity for God's glory to be put on display. What we see in this miracle is that Jesus was the initiator here unlike, remember the desperate father who, who lives in Capernaum and he comes to Cana and he, he finds Jesus and he's pleading, Jesus, I, I need you to heal my son. I need you to travel the 20 miles and come to Capernaum and lay hands on my son because he is sick and almost dead. Unlike the desperate father here, Jesus is the one who will initiate this sign or this miracle. Yet the man still had a part to play in it. He still had to believe in what Jesus was capable of doing. What I love about this miracle, what I love about this ordinary day for this man is that he woke up blind, but he ended his day seeing. Talk about an ordinary day for this man. He went through his normal rhythm, his normal routine. But when the presence of Jesus came onto the scene, this ordinary day became an extraordinary day. He was blind, but he ended the day being able to see. There's some very important lessons that I believe emerge from this narrative for the church that we need to understand. Number one is we cannot dismiss any encounter with Christ, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem because Jesus's mere presence can completely change the atmosphere. Folks, we cannot we cannot dismiss any interaction, any encounter, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem from our human perspective, because every single time that Christ comes onto the scene, every time that his presence is at work in our lives, in the lives of our community, in the lives of our families, things change. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. And let me just give it to you very practically this morning, a simple word of encouragement, a written card to somebody that, that maybe is going through a difficult time or the sharing of scripture, even on social media. I know social media can have a bad rap and, and and I know it can um, be difficult to utilize it sometimes, but let's redeem it and let's use it for God's glory. Let's let's put things on there to, to uh, point people to Christ. And so the simple word of encouragement, the written card, the sharing of scripture can be the Christ encounter that somebody needs. I can't tell you many times I've listened, whether on my way to work or um, you know just driving in the, in the car, listening to K-Love or um, Air One, um, I think it's Air One 98.7 uh, on the radio. And, and oftentimes people will call in and they will give testimonies how that particular morning they were struggling, they had a difficult day, a difficult week, they turned on the radio, and the song that was on in that moment of the testimony they heard in that moment changed their life. And so that, that may seem small and insignificant, but anytime that the presence of Christ is infused into our life, into our situation, the ordinary can become extraordinary with his presence. That's why it's important that we gather together weekly for worship. That's why it's important that, that we we gather here so we can worship Christ, so we can hear the word of God preached, so we can be ushered into his presence through this singing of songs. That's why we gather, so that we can encounter his presence and our lives can be changed. I, I'm guessing there's many of you that probably have walked in here before or walked into a, a church setting and, and maybe your morning wasn't going well. Things weren't kind of coming together. Maybe uh, maybe you had a rough morning and, and you didn't get to eat breakfast that day and, and, and then you came into a worship setting like this and you began to encounter the presence of God through song, through singing and through the word of God being preached and that ordinary difficult day became extraordinary because you encountered his presence. We cannot dismiss folks those small insignificant moments because anytime the presence of Christ is infused into a situation it can change the atmosphere. Secondly, we must not become dissatisfied with our seemingly mundane and ordinary days and jobs or circumstances because at any moment, God's glory can be revealed. I like routine. I like rhythm. I'm okay with mundane and going through the motions because I'm relatively comfortable in that. But we, we need to make certain that we don't get dissatisfied with that because at any moment, At any moment, those seemingly mundane and ordinary circumstances in life, God's glory can be revealed. And things can begin to change. We should live our lives with a constant awareness of his presence. When Paul says that we are to pray without ceasing, that's what he means. He doesn't mean 24-7 we need to be on our on our knees and, and, and praying because we, we do have to sleep, we do have to eat. He just means we need to live our lives with a constant awareness of his presence, that at any moment he can speak to us, at any moment uh, he can reveal something to us, at any moment he can change our lives. We need to infuse Christ into the ordinary so that it will become extraordinary, and we need to get this to number three though God is the one who takes the initiative we still play a role we still have to do what we have to believe we have to believe in what Christ is doing and number four God pursues his children even when we aren't pursuing him look at this look at this the man as Jesus was walking along just going throughout his day he saw from a distance a man who had been blind from birth This man wasn't pursuing Jesus. This man wasn't looking for a miracle. This man wasn't looking for a sign, but Jesus was still pursuing him. I am thankful. Thankful that we serve a God that even when we don't faithfully pursue him, he still pursues after us. There may be people in your life that you're praying for. There may be friends, there may be family members, there may be sons or daughters that that maybe have walked away from a relationship with Christ. And, and, And whatever the situation may be, the reality is, even if they aren't pursuing Jesus right now, you can rest assured and know with confidence this morning that Jesus is still on a mission; that He is still pursuing them; that He still loves them; and that He longs for them to come back to know Him. And so that that we see that here in this story, though though this man wasn't pursuing Jesus, Jesus was on a mission, and He saw this man. It was an ordinary day, but that ordinary day became extraordinary when Christ came onto the scene. Number two, second thing that want a second truth that I want to talk about this morning. Is denying the existence of the supernatural will harden our hearts to God's work and keep us from believing in Him. Let's look at John chapter 9, verses 30 through 33. It says, Why? That's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where He comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but He is ready to hear those who worship Him and do His will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Here's what I want you to see this morning. The man's neighbors and close relatives, they struggled to comprehend the miracle that just took place, and they were divided in their understanding. Some were saying, wasn't this the man who used to sit here and beg, who, was, who, who has been born blind? Or some said, yes, that's him, while others said, no, he just, he's a lookalike. He's an imposter. Uh, Maybe he has a twin brother out there and and we're confused as to who he is. So there was division as to who this man really was. The man adamantly insisted, though, he was that man and he revealed the healing story that took place. They kept questioning him. They kept asking him, who healed you? Where did this healing come from? Where is this man that, that performed this miracle? They weren't so much questioning his changing appearance That was likely about the same, but they were struggling. Look at this. They were struggling to accept the reality of the supernatural that took place. A blind man, a man who had been blind from birth, could now see. For them, that was hard to accept. Now, I know there are things that that we struggle to accept. There are things that that our finite minds cannot grasp, that we cannot quite understand. And this was one of those moments for for the Pharisees, for the neighbors, those that knew this man. They were struggling to, to understand, to grasp the miracle that had just taken place. It was hard for them. Remember earlier, we talked about this a few weeks ago in John's Gospel, Following the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples, they struggled to accept the hard teachings of Jesus surrounding his pending death. And because they struggled to accept those te- the, his teachings, many of them left. And if you remember, Jesus looks at Peter and, and the rest of the disciples and he says to them, are you gonna leave too? And Peter's response is to where, we, where will we go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. And so Peter's proclamation is there. We may not understand everything, but what we do understand understand. What we do know is that you have the words of life. And so we're committing ourselves to you, even if it is hard to understand. We read this in John chapter six, verse 60. It says, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? The Pharisees, they refused here in this story. They refused to accept the miracle and experience divisions, even among their own followers. The neighbors and those closely connected with the man, they took him to the Pharisees. They, they put him on trial to be questioned Um, because he had healed on the Sabbath day. Some would not accept this activity as divine in nature because it broke the Sabbath tradition. So so because he healed on the Sabbath, they weren't willing to accept the miracle or the sign that had just taken place, while others struggled because they couldn't justify in their minds a supposed, quote, sinner as one who could do such a miraculous sign. So you can see there is division, there is confusion, there is distraction among what is taking place in this sign, John 9, verse 16 says there was deep division of opinion among them. So you can see that this miracle, this sign, it's it's really wrestling the feathers of the Pharisees and the neighbors, and there's confusion, there's arguing, there's, there's, there's discussions regarding what just unfolded in this story. The Pharisees, though, they would not accept the reality of the supernatural because it did not fit their scheme, didn't fit their understanding, it didn't fit their plan which would eventually create hard hearts and keep them from understanding the truth. So what does that mean, though, for the church? There's a few things to consider. Number one, we need to guard against the temptation to be skeptical and suspicious of supernatural activity that takes place in our lives. Now Look at this skepticism and cynicism surrounding the supernatural is an easy response. I've been there. I, I, I've seen supernatural things unfold. I, I, it's easy to be skeptical of it because I've also seen it abused. Been in places before where, where supposed supernatural activity was taking place. And, and, and as you look at the scriptures and begin to test the spirits, you realize this really isn't from God. And so it's easy to develop a, a skeptical, cynical heart to the work of God, but, but we need to make certain that we don't become so skeptical, so cynical that no longer can we see the supernatural activity that's taking place inside the life of believers. But what if we become suspicious every time? If we become suspicious every time, our hearts may become so hard to the things of God that we miss out on his presence altogether. I don't want to develop a heart that is so skeptical, so, so hard and so cynical that when something simple that is divine happens in front of me, I can't see it with my eyes that I'm blinded. I want to make certain that I'm able to see. But here's here's the caveat to that. Number two, we also need to learn to develop discerning hearts and minds in order to comprehend what is truly divine in nature versus what is man-initiated ordained. I want to have an open heart to accept the supernatural. I don't want to have a suspicious, critical, cynical attitude when it comes to the work of God. But at the same time, I want to make certain that I have a discerning heart to know, is this from God or is this man initiated? And that's important, folks, as believers, as followers of Christ, we need discerning hearts. We need to be able to look at something. We need to be able to to explore something and and say, is this from God? Does this line up with his word? And if it does, and if it lines up with with his word and the counsel of others, then it is very indeed from him. Discernment comes from God, comes from knowing his word. And it's always appropriate when testing The spirits. We need to have discerning hearts. I think one of the greatest examples we've seen of that recently, uh, with the outpouring that took place at uh, Asbury College, Asbury University. uh, There was a lot of skepticism and critical spirits around what was taking place. But from those at the college, those at the seminary, there was a lot of discernment taking place, praying and seeking. Is this from God? And I see because they gave themselves to the Word, they were able to discern what was taking place was indeed from God. We need to be open to the things of God, what he wants to do in my life, in the life of this church. Let's not close them out with our skepticism and refusal to accept the supernatural. Spiritual blindness will produce critical and harsh spirits surrounding God's activity, but there is a solution. Jesus came to do what? He came to open our blind eyes. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to open blind eyes, to give sight to the blind. Jesus came to be the light of the world, to give us light in the midst of darkness. So we need to make certain that our eyes and our hearts and our ears are open to the work of God, but let's do it with discerning hearts. Let's make certain we know the word of God. We know what scripture says. We receive counsel from those that we trust so we can discern faithfully the activity and the work that God is doing in our lives so we can experience those things with joy. Number three, give these last few to you quickly. Places of spiritual darkness breed spiritual blindness, cutting communities off from God's work. So it's imperative that the light of the world shine brightly in the darkness. Look at John chapter nine, verses four through five. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work, but while I am here, Jesus says, in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus had a very specific mission. He came to carry out his father's business. And he knew that his time was short. He knew there was a day coming and his day was approaching when when he was gonna go to the cross, when he was gonna die, be resurrected and ascend into the heavens. And so he knew his time here on earth was short. We see this first of all in John chapter two, the very first sign he told his mother, remember at the wedding where he turned water into wine, he said, my time has not yet come. And so he knew his time was approaching, but it had not yet come. In other places in John, he notes the same thing here. He is indicating the importance of stewardship his time wisely because time is running out. He's getting closer to the cross. He's getting closer to fulfilling the mission completely for what he had come to do. And spiritual darkness, which just simply indicates blindness to the truth of God, consumed much of the world. So Jesus came to act as the light of the world. Here's a few things for us as a church to consider when it comes to this understanding. First of all, I've talked about this before, uh, but there are, I believe, 3.1 billion unreached people or 3.1 billion people who are unreached. That means they have no access to the gospel whatsoever. They are living in spiritual darkness. There are people in our own backyards that are blinded to the truth of God's word. Therefore, we must act and respond with urgency. Now is the time to go. Now is the time to pray. Now is the time to give because our time could very well be running out. Again, 3.1 billion people who are destined for eternity apart from God's presence because they are blinded to the truth. There are 1,400 people here in Dunkirk who are unchurched and living in spiritual darkness. Jesus came to do what? To open blind eyes. Eyes. And we, church, we are the vehicle. We are the instrument that God chose to introduce those living in darkness, spiritual darkness, to the light of the world. He didn't choose some other means. He didn't choose the political world. He didn't choose um, you know, social media. He chose us, the church, to be the vehicle, to be the instrument by which we communicate the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. He has chosen us to be that vehicle. And in order to do that, We need the Holy Spirit to empower us to be faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ. Number four, part of our spiritual journey with Christ includes wrestling through and being okay with tension because our finite minds cannot grasp the infinite complexities of our eternal God. Here's what I want you to see from the story. The Pharisees, they couldn't balance the tension. They were struggling because he worked on the Sabbath, So their response is he can't be from God, but others were struggling because at the same time, something miraculous, a man who has been blind from birth can now see had just taken place in front of their eyes. So how could a sinner then perform such a task? They couldn't grasp what had just taken place in front of them. They ended up calling in the parents as a witness to this work, but even the parents couldn't grasp the fullness of the miracle. John chapter 9, verses 18 through 21, I'm not going to read it, but up on the screen, the parents too are struggling to wrestle with what just unfolded in front of them. Folks, we constantly wrestle with certain tensions when it comes to God's kingdom because he operates in a realm that our finite minds cannot completely grasp. Isaiah, I think, pens it best. Isaiah chapter 55, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. There's a lot of tensions that we wrestle with, especially inside the church realm. There are things that may be questions you've asked before. How can, if we serve a loving God, why does pain and evil and sickness and disease even exist? Sometimes I think we wrestle with, I, I prayed days upon days upon days for a miracle or for healing to take place, and I never got that healing that I prayed for. How, how can we serve a, a loving God if he didn't answer my prayers? I think we wrestle with, what about those who've never heard the gospel? What about those who've never heard the good news of Jesus Christ? What, what is their eternity? What is that going to look like? Those are tensions that our minds struggle to wrestle with. I'm actually in the summer going to do a four, four or five week series just simply called Questions for God, dealing with some of those questions, dealing with questions regarding a loving God and the existence of pain and, and evil and darkness. How can we wrestle with that from a Christian biblical standpoint? What about those who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ? What is their eternity? Those are things that we will wrestle with. But those are the tensions Because our finite minds cannot grasp the complexities of an infinite, eternal, holy God. And and so what are we supposed to do? We are to give ourselves to the word, to grow in our understanding. He will begin to open our eyes, and here's the reality, until we see him face to face, we won't have full understanding. But we can grow in our understanding. We can have a better understanding of what the scriptures teach. And so we need to learn to find balance while at the same time, always growing in our understanding of who Jesus is. Is We even see that there is the, 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 the blind man in his blindness. There is progressive growth that takes place, and we see that with him as well. And finally, number five, and worship team, if you want to come, I'll give this last one to you quickly. When spiritual sight is received and insight is growing, it will produce belief resulting in only one worthy and acceptable response. Let's look at the text again. John chapter nine, verses 35 through 38. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, found the man and he asked, do you believe in the son of man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And he is speaking to you. And then the man's response that the glory of God now has been revealed. Remember the signs exist so that you may continue to believe. And in that in your believing, you may have life The glory of God has been revealed. His, Spiritual darkness, his physical darkness has been healed and restored. He has encountered the presence of Jesus Christ. He was going about his ordinary day. God's glory has been revealed, and it has turned it into an extraordinary day. And his response, when he sees Jesus, he says to him, yes, Lord, I believe. And then what did he do? He worshiped Jesus. He worshiped Jesus. Jesus. Remember, again, all the way back in the Old Testament, Moses, I've said this before, Moses, when he encountered the glory of God, remember in the cleft of the rock, he wanted to see God's face. And he said, well, I'll pass by you. And so he was hidden in the cleft of the rock. God's presence passed by him. And what did Moses begin to do? Moses then began to worship. There's only one worthy response. When we encounter the presence of God, his glory, and that is worship. I want you to stand with me this morning and I want to read this. A.W. Tozer said, "'Religious instruction, however sound, "'is not enough by itself. "'It brings light, but it cannot impart sight. "'The assumption that light and sight are synonymous "'has brought spiritual tragedy to millions. Pharisees—they looked straight at the light of the world for three years, but not one ray of light reached their inner beings. Light is not enough. The inward operation of the Holy Spirit is necessary to saving faith. The gospel is light, but only the Spirit can give sight. That—that's why when we share our faith when we share the gospel When we share the good news we're not just proclaiming what the word of god teaches we're praying for those lost people we're praying for those prodigals that the holy spirit would prep their heart that he would stir in them a longing for him because there is there is a working in that as the holy spirit begins to work in their heart and in their life and as we pray for them and as we present the good news to them all of that begins to work together, and He begins to give them that revelation, that longing, and that passion for His presence. With your eye, with your eyes closed.